You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. For more than six decades, ACT has advanced its mission of helping people achieve education and workplace success. We exist to fight for fairness in education and create a world where everyone can discover and fulfill their potential. Education has power, a power that can change lives forever. It creates opportunities that lift up individuals and their families, and it sparks societal change that echoes through generations to come. From our grassroots, we have fought the good fight for equity in education, and we remain devoted to helping anyone who struggles to access that power. We are all in to create a world that values and encourages each individual's abilities and potential in a society that is fairer and more equitable. What's next for you? A new car? A new house? A vacation? At Alliant Energy, we're planning what's next for your energy by adding more renewable energy sources, embracing new technology, building stronger communities, and providing you with more options. We're not just powering homes and businesses. We're powering what's next for you. Learn more at AlliantEnergy.com slash powering what's next. The phrase people you can bank on, it kind of embodies our legacy. What I think that means is we care about our clients, we care about our community, and we care for each other. Having been in business for over 20 years and uh, explored all possibilities of financing and you know banking relationships, I have found that the people at Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust are people that you can really bank on. Welcome to another episode of the Corridor Media Group's Diversity Straight Up, sponsored by ACT, Align Energy, Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust. I'm your host, Sadiqa Bakta, president of Nikea Diversity Consulting. Hey, hey, I'm Anthony Arrington with Top Rank, and we are about to have a great show today. Getting under the hood with diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement with one of my faves. I met her a few months ago at a conference and. Instantly connected. So happy to have her. Who, who do we have today, Seneca? Uh Well, I can see why you instantly <laughs> connected with this uh, dynamic individual, Katie Castillo-Wilson. She is the founder and CEO of Tap On It. I love the name, by the way. An Iowa-based technology company that she started alongside her sister and co-founder, Sarah Castillo. Prior to starting Tap On It, she was a digital advertising director for a local media company where she helped businesses with their digital marketing strategies in 2014, she left her career to launch Tap On It with the goal of helping brands connect with consumers in the most direct ways possible, a text message. It's going to be great having a conversation with her. Today, Tap On It is a leader in text message marketing, their proprietary SaaS, S-A-A-S, software as a service. Text marketing platform is used across the country by businesses of all sizes. Tap on it is proud to have grown the business from the Quad Cities and gone overseas with the belief that great ideas can turn into great businesses no matter who you are or where you live. Katie hopes to pave a path for future female founders. Personally, Katie is a proud mom of two. And in her free time, Katie enjoys traveling and spending time with her kids and two dogs. Katie, thank you so much for being part of our show. Welcome. 
Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You know, in your bio, you have the names of your two children, and I did not want to mispronounce one of them. It's so beautiful. Would you mind sharing with our listeners your children's uh, names? Yes. It's Taze, T-A-Z-E, and Lydia Wilson. And yeah, they're both absolutely amazing. I've got Taze is at NYU in his second year, and my daughter is about to graduate from high school and trying to decide where to go. Interesting. I know you said offline, you said your daughter was going to go to looking at film. NYU is the premier film school. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because my son is going to NYU for writing and acting. And so he's the one who wants to help write the movies and be in the movies and shows and screenplays and whatever else he can do. And Lydia wants to be the one who helps make them into reality when it comes to the production, the editing and the creation. Awesome. So I know. Dynamic duo. Yes, indeed. They're following on the wonderful footsteps of a single mom like you who is just, you know, (laughs) making waves in the world here. Katie, we're looking forward to having a conversation with you. But before we dive into the show, we always start off with something's on my mind. There's something on my mind. And feel free to join in in the conversation as well. Anthony Anthony and I will always uh, riff on what's on our mind based on current events, and there's definitely a lot that we can riff on, right? Absolutely. For me, being a global citizen, (laughs) and I'm always thinking about beyond just our borders here in the United States, and my heart has been very, very, very heavy with the earthquakes that have happened in Turkey and Syria. I mean, the last count that I had read about was over 11,000 people. Now, if you just sit and just, you know, take that into account, what that means, lives that have been upturned. And they're still digging for people. My heart breaks. I think about day in, day out, going to work like nothing has happened or mundane things that people are fighting about. Mother Nature is definitely showing her wrath and it's just heartbreaking. I used to be in the Red Cross, so helping people from recover from disasters and rebuilding, it always makes, you know, your world puts it it into perspective. And I can tell you the last, you know, few days, it's definitely put things into perspective in terms of what does life mean for me when I see how in seconds it's been shattered there. My thoughts and, you know, support and healing Vibes are just being sent their way. So that's been that's what's been on my mind, frankly. But I what yeah. I've noticed is that there hasn't been much percolating. I've been on Twitter and looking around social media, and I'm like, why is there not much on this? Unless if you go and search for it, but it's not trending. It's interesting. Help me understand this. Yeah. And I think this is what's been on my mind. I'm like, I'm just fathomed that it's not trending in that aspect of it. And I have to look it up, and I'm finding news, and I'm going through the feeds. Yeah, it's interesting because when my when my daughters were in elementary school, one of my daughters wanted to do a PowerPoint on a Sri Lanka tsunami at the time. And that was like world news. And to your point, like I was talking to my wife uh, the other day and she hadn't she didn't know about it. She's so busy. She had she didn't know about it. And I'm like, how do you not know that? And this was when it was only 50, 4,100 people. that died. But I'm glad you brought that up, Sarah, because the one thing that as we think about our space, the one thing that always happens during these disasters is we, we start talking about inequities. And one of the things that, it's funny you mentioned that, one of the things I heard online the other day was they're already having conversations about folks that feel they're not being, that they weren't being rescued fast enough. And you're always going to have those things when, I mean, I don't know how anybody could be prepared for, for that. And so, but what happens is we get into these emotional states and then we start pointing fingers and, and blaming. So I hope that we can be better at that for, for the Middle East and for what's happening there. 
Um, but I'm already hearing that, you know, that this particular area is not being, they, you know, we were calling for help and we, we couldn't get help. And, and, and that's just, that's just sad. Yeah. Definitely a sad case. Yeah, I, uh, I've paid attention mainly just, you know, I have on the news in the morning. Um, I'm not necessarily watching the news. I'm more listening. Yeah. But I think that that's partially why so many people are unaware is you tend to focus on your channel, right? Whether it's your line of work or what's important to you at that time or, you know, like you said, what's trending instead of necessarily what's happening outside of your normal feed. And it does require people to look outside of what's happening on their, you know, TikTok feed or whatever yeah. social network it is that people are paying attention to and, you know, read world news, read local news, because otherwise you will completely miss out on it. And we've had conversations around that just internally. I've had it with my family. And it's like you have to make sure that you're not so closed off from everything else that you miss out on everything that's happening around the world, because these things do impact us as well. Yes. And it's awful as you said it's absolutely heartbreaking and you know if anything hopefully people take a second to realize how incredibly blessed we are or for most people you know in their homes to be healthy and safe yeah. um, just to be thankful absolutely i think um you know as you said it um look at different areas to be able to get your resources your news etc mm -hmm. because um be having a very single centric uh lens and in this case a western centric can be mm -hmm. detrimental to anyone that is always looking at being a, a growth mindset or having a growth mindset yeah. as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I guess this is where, um, that's what's been on my mind is that uh, we really just continue yeah. to look at being global citizens because it does have an impact on us. We know, we've seen it with the global pandemic as well, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I know that uh, we can have a lot of conversations on this as well, <laughs> but um, let's, uh, you know, get to you, Katie, here. What's yeah. on our guest mind? Say guest, what's on your mind? You, you struck me, I, your confidence when we met at that conference, the Immigration Summit, and that's why I wanted to reach out to you, is your confidence. Um, and I don't see a lot of, especially in that tech space, right? Like I, I, I've been a recruiter off and on for a, a number of years. So before I was even doing this DEI work, just generally I was recruiting. So I've seen a lot of spaces. And the one thing that walked me away from that business that I was in was not seeing a lot of women in male-dominated spaces. When you came into that room and you're on that panel, the way that you were talking, the way you carried yourself was just, it, it really intrigued me. It really uh, it drew me in. So I want to ask you, you're a young woman. You're, you're in white Iowa. You, you, we were talking offline about this. You, you started a tech company, and everybody tells you you need to be in Silicon Valley, right? Um, and you're a Latina, I am. right? So yes. tell us how, how did you do this? How, you know, how do you tell the young next Latina female what to do to be an entrepreneur in Lily, old Iowa? And a single mother to and do a it single, on top of that. Yes, and a single mother. <laughs> Um, I wish that I could say, here's the steps to take, right? And I wish that I could tell you that the confidence that I had in that room or I carry on a daily basis is 100% genuine and not somewhat that, you know what, you got to fake it till you make it, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm confident in what we've accomplished as a business and what my, t my team offers. And so I have no doubt that you know we can provide a great service to anyone who comes across our technology. And you know, when it came to starting a company in Iowa, um, 
prior to this, like, you know, like you read in my bio, I had been in the media industry, uh, which is also a very predominantly white male um, run industry. And I was very lucky to have had a woman who was my boss and she became a mentor and an advocate for me and really showed me, you know, how to make waves in the space. Um, I learned, I grew quickly within that space. And honestly, when I had an idea and decided to quit my normal well-paying job, um, much to my family's dismay, I, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be that hard. And I think that a lot of people who decide to start a business probably underestimate what it takes. But, you know, anytime you start something new, it's going to be difficult. Um, What I really didn't realize, though, was why it was going to be difficult. And to be a female in technology in Iowa, um, those three things don't go together. And what's sad is whether I was a woman in tech or tech in Iowa, just that whole combination isn't very common. And, you know, when it came to raising money, I was incredibly lucky here in the Quad Cities to have a group of people that believed in me, um, the idea, they understood the idea enough to say, okay, let's take a shot. But when it came to raising money to continue to grow the business, I couldn't do it here. And so I did have to look outside the area. And, you know, only about 2% of VC capital actually goes to female-founded businesses. And so um, it was a tough road. Why couldn't you do it here? Why couldn't you do do it here? Why do you think you couldn't do it here? Um, People didn't understand. You know, I think part of it, a lot has changed, first Mm -hmm. of all, between what I was doing back in 2015 and here we are eight years later. Um, One, you know, location is no matter, location is not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter as much as it used to. And I think the pandemic um, really opened people's eyes up to the fact that you can have ideas and be smart and capable and build great companies from anywhere. Um, I did hear many, many times as I was raising money over the years that we wouldn't be able to do this in Iowa, that you had to be in Silicon Valley or New York, like you said. And to me, that just didn't make sense. There's incredibly talented people here. The cost of living is so, you know, affordable that to be able to build a company here in a lean fashion is so Mm -hmm. much more doable than it would be in those other spaces. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people weren't willing to take that chance. And so now, um, now I can be meeting with VCs and, you know, potential investors and potential clients um, all over the country, all over the world from my desk, which makes it here in Iowa, which makes yeah. it a lot easier. And people are no longer worried about, one, we need to get together in person, which traveling is a lot, right? And mm-hmm. two, necessarily where you're headquartered because there are people working for different companies all over the world and you do not have to all be in the same room. Now, with that being said, Um, My team, we do have an office here in Davenport, Iowa. We have a super collaborative team, but we're pretty flexible when it comes to the schedule and, you know, what people need. But it's great. And, you know, we're in office most of the time and it allows for us to really work together. Um, But back to your question, you know, how (laughs) how do you how would I tell someone how to do something similar? You just have to do it. Right. I mean, you that's the first step is, you know, tons of people have ideas. I mean, everybody has ideas. Right. But to actually turn it into a business means taking the first step and putting it out there. And when you believe in what you're doing and you continue to push that out there and, you know, sell the story um, and then actually follow through on it, you will find the right people. And um, I've been very lucky over the years to have the right people uh, 
awesome. find us too. Yeah. Well, Katie, you had mentioned um, one of the hurdles was location and how you were able to overcome that. And obviously with the global pandemic that, you know, voted in uh, many people's, you know, favor. What um, are some of the <coughs> other uh, big hurdles you had to overcome to secure funding? Because funding is a huge, huge element. And as you just said earlier, what, 2%, less than 2%? VC goes to female founders, and I'm not sure what the demographics of those 2%, how many go to underrepresented female founders. Right. What is that? Right. You're exactly right. I mean, that's even a smaller number. So mm -hmm. can you share some experiences that have been ingrained in you that really forced you to pivot in your approach? Um, obviously, you're successful. You've got a team of, you know, 20-some folks. So um, lessons learned? helps others to, you know, potentially uh, not go into the same, you know, a pathway. So anything that you can share on that front would be great for our listeners. Sure. So actually, you know, early on in the years, I often would um, avoid conversations about where we were located or, you know, even the fact that um, I was a minority, you know, obviously the women, the women minority piece kind of stood out, but necessarily knowing that I was Hispanic or, you know, I mean, had ties there, it wasn't necessarily something I talked about a lot. And um, as I got further down the path in fundraising, it was kind of funny because I actually had a VC that I met with that told me that I really needed to embrace the race. And I'm like, huh, huh. All right. And I started just talking about things differently. You know, I started leaning into the fact that I am different and that we are in a different spot. And that part of that benefit of that diversity is the diversity in thought and opinion and in action attitude and the way that you execute on things. And so um, I, I changed my pitch to, you know, we've been extremely successful in building this technology company over the past eight years. And what's even more impressive is that what we were doing pre-pandemic compared to what we are now, we've had to completely pivot our business and we managed to survive. We created new revenue streams. Um, we took our what was tap on it deals, which is still active here in the Quad Cities, but not so much in the other 41 different mm -hmm. markets we had been in. And we are a SaaS company now. We're a software as a service, text message, marketing and communications platform that is used by businesses of all different sizes, whether it's your mom and pop, mom and pop pizza shop, all the way up to the L.A. Clippers, um, Fisher Price, Equinox Hotels. Um, so, you know, we've been able to not only survive a pandemic, mm -hmm. successfully pivot, but we're scaling now. And um, I really do think that leaning into my culture and, you know, telling everyone that it's impressive that we've made it this far has actually um, worked in our favor. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, thank you for sharing that because I've always said, what is your value differentiator? Mm -hmm. That's what you lean into and that's your pitch and you really blow it up, right? And that yeah. value differentiator create, sets yeah. you apart in the marketplace at the end of the day. Um, yeah. And they also know that um, you can be a good cultural bridge to other untapped markets. So um, yeah. uh, thank you. Yes, Anthony. No, you. Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to piggy on that because you said something. Piggyback. <laughs> you, <laughs> <laughs> that's money. You said something that really triggered, and I want to talk about your mindset before you decided to lean in. Because what I heard you say is that there were times where I didn't want to talk about my heritage. 
We talk about this a lot in the space about individuals of minoritized populations having to assimilate and having to not be authentic themselves and how that impacts them and their ability to be successful. There's trauma involved mm -hmm. with that as well. Did you talk about your feelings prior to your decision to embrace the race? What was it like for you to have to um, suppress that? You know, I don't know that I actually recognized that is what even what I was doing. Um, you know, like you said, white Iowa, right? Like I have, was born and raised here in the Quad Cities. Um, my dad's side of the family is where my Hispanic heritage comes from. My mom's side is, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. And so, you know, in the majority of my uh, Hispanic family is in Chicago. They're further outside the area. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I looked, behave, acted, whatever, like all of my other friends here. And mm -hmm. so I didn't really realize the difference or what I was missing out on until I started building networks in the Latinx community. And so one thing that I had a, an extremely um, incredible uh, opportunity to participate in just last, it was October through December, um, that really built my network and also my pride around what we're doing is um, through, it's called the Latino ba Business Action Network, LBAN. Mm -hmm. um, huge fan. I was invited to participate in a program that they were running through Stanford, Stanford College and I, or Stanford University, and I completed that in December. And now I'm part of this alumni association of over a thousand business owners, uh, businesses of all sizes that we have this network. And I mean, really the mission is to, you know, do business with each other, do get business for each other mm -hmm. and help entrepreneurs in the minority, um, you know, minority entrepreneurs yeah. to continue to grow and scale. And so I've learned a ton. I've made it a focus. I've really spent a lot of time with that side of my family more recently. Um, and, it, you know, my my grandma was an entrepreneur in Chicago <laughs> Back in the 60s, my aunt, uh, Gloria Castillo, is the recently retired president of Chicago United. Like, I have this history of badass women yeah. that are doing really cool stuff, have done really cool stuff. And, you know, they were making major moves before most even considered it. And so I feel like it's, um, you know, I've got this path that's been created for me, and now I just need to keep running that direction and um it's been really exciting and it's been really cool and i've had a lot of support around it so well you're you're blazing keep on uh, blazing <laughs> so it's still not easy and i'm still raising money uh -huh. and it's still hard um so you know but it's so worthwhile and the past eight years of my life i've had the opportunity to meet people and have experiences and help businesses of all sizes and you know build cool shit is what we talk about yeah. here at the company yeah. when it comes to the technology side. And um, I wouldn't change it for the world. So it's worth taking the risk and the first step and, you know, doing the hard work. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I want to pivot a little bit. The tech industry is experiencing significant, significant layoffs left and right and center. And yes. there is a growing fear um, that organizations will become more homogenous even those that have a commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement. So Dynata, a data company, conducted a study of over 500 senior leaders last October and found that 67% are concerned their companies will be less diverse due to these layoffs and continued reductions in the workforce. Um, and we know what happened with Twitter. Um, as the, we'll use that as an example. A higher percentage of women were laid off 
than men and the disparity did not go unnoticed at all, right? So right. what are your thoughts um, on this unfolding scene in the tech industry and companies, you know, even claiming commitment to DEIE in creating the, those inclusive cultures and creating equity in the process, even the equity in the exit of an organization, there should be sure. equity in it. So with those economic downturns, what are your thoughts? And especially given the history of your path in women in tech, um, well, curious. First of all, yeah, I don't think that, um, unfortunately, I don't think that this is really as recent as what we're seeing right now. You know, the um, number of women in business in general, thanks to the pandemic, decreased, right? You know, mm -hmm. so many women were forced to go back to that role of being at home, caring for their children. If only one person got to go to work, um, you know, I mean, it statistically, it was the men. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the pandemic set us back as a gender in a big way, um, just because those, you know, traditional norms were suddenly front and center again. Now, when we look at the tech industry, um, it's sad, honestly, because so many of these people are incredibly talented. And um, it, I wish that there was a simple solution. I think the number one thing that we really do have to focus on is talking about it, right? Like you have to talk about the diversity and you have to talk about why it's important and what it means and how to encourage that within an organization. And, you know, I think that there have been a ton of people, um, major companies that have said, you know, they're going to dedicate X amount of time, money, whatever to minority resources, whether that's in their hiring or even in the vendors that they're using. And um, a lot of that was super front and center, you know, a year ago. And I think that making sure that we hold those businesses to what they said and continue the conversation around it is going to be extremely important. You know, and I think, you know, engaging in conversation is always a good start, right? And uh, knowing that if what you is don't talk about it, nobody realizes it's even a problem, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of talk that's happening. Just look out, you know, in the landscape. And I know that recently, just recently, like maybe within the last 24 hours, you'll see that in Florida, um, they had indicated that looking at, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and hiring shouldn't be allowed. So talk is happening. It is just the fact that how do you not make it a culture war, a gender war? Right. Which this right. is what it's all about when you're thinking about, you know, underrepresented females or women in tech. I mean, that's on all fronts there, right? From the culture, yeah. from the race, ethnicity, from the gender. So this is uh, the conundrum that we're right. in. I just hope that those that have more autonomy with their structure of the organization and mm -hmm. company can continue to make this a priority yeah. and a commitment around diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement, and recognize that in this global economy that we are a part of, that you're probably going to be ahead of the game, especially knowing that the yeah. United States is probably one of the most diverse countries in the world. So let's talk about but, that, boss lady. You're, you're a boss lady, to what Serica said. If you, you've got, you're, <laughs> you're the boss. She's you're a boss lady. You're, yeah. <laughs> So as, as Seneca was saying, I think it's a great point, you know, uh, hoping that more companies with autonom autonomy to drive their own culture. Um, what are some of the things that, that you are all doing at Tap On It or maybe you personally to help drive diversity, equity, inclusion in your organization or your community? Well, first of all, we have to spend a lot of time convincing people to move to Iowa. <laughs> Don't we all? Yes. <laughs> is not always an easy thing to do, especially Come in the Come to Iowa, people. <laughs> 
Sorry, it's a little chilly here sometimes, but other times it's lovely. And we've been super lucky. We've worked mm-hmm. with um, quite a few different like boot camp type programs when it comes to hiring engineers and have, um, gosh, we have two people who have moved recently. We've got um, a lot of diversity coming out of those boot camps, which has been great. Um, we've expanded our team when it comes to the Hispanic uh, minority. And that's been really fun because, again, it's not just about your race or your gender or any of that stuff. It just adds so much diversity and thought and opinion and, and ideas. And that's been extremely worthwhile. Um, but it is a struggle when you look at the workforce that's available to you here um, because there's not necessarily a ton of diversity. And, you know, when you are looking to fill positions and you have a limited budget and you have, you know, only so many spots that you can fill, we're all looking to find the best person to mm-hmm. fill that position based on a skill set. And, you know, that's what we focus on is who is the best person to fill that position. And by really focusing on specific um, boot camps and depending on where they're getting their students from, we're working actually with a recruitment firm that um, looks for minority employees to fill the positions. There's just things that we're doing to keep it front and center. And then it's a conversation that we have. So um, one thing that my team uh, practiced that we did just recently was creating our core values. Like we've had a mission statement and a value statement, you know, for years. And sometimes Mm -hmm. those things can change a little bit um, Mm -hmm. over the years as your business changes. But we had never really taken the time to sit down and hammer out and put it front and center, make it important. It's part of the conversation literally at the beginning of every meeting now are our core values. And one of those big ones is fostering inclusivity. And that means so many different things from including the right people and everybody who has an input to give in particular meetings, right? Like making sure that we listen to lots of different voices. We ask for different people's opinions. Um, when we're talking about, you know, fostering inclusivity, that means also diversity, right? Like we look for different people to join and then we welcome them into the culture. And I'm incredibly proud of the team here um, because it was a team effort to create the core values. And I'll get in trouble if I, I can't repeat them all. But first of all, it's di- um, different by design is part of it. You know, like we do things mm-hmm. differently from the fact that we're female founded in Iowa all the way up to the way that we work with clients and how our technology works. But fostering inclusivity, encouraging growth, um, you know, taking the first step, um, you know, those are some of the things that sure. as a team we decided really help lead the decisions we make, our behaviors, the way that we treat our customers, and <coughs> making sure that the people we bring into the team understand what those core values are, and we hope that their personal values align with them, because if they do, they're going to fit in really well. Yeah, the personal and organizational values, when they align, magic can happen mm-hmm. with the people mm-hmm. feeling uh, engaged, which leads to the sense of belonging. Yeah. I have a question around a mentorship. We know that this is a significant, you know, um, aspect to anyone's um, growth. Can you speak about the role of mentorship in your career and how you were able to approach finding a mentors um, as a as a woman, um, especially in a very male dominated industry? How was your process and uh, who did you seek out? I don't know that I've done a great job at that, to be totally honest. Um, You know, like I mentioned before in my prior life, you know, in the media industry, I I had some women that really not only were mentors, but they were advocates, right? Like they helped teach me and then help make sure everybody else knew 
what I had to say mattered and made sure that my voice was heard. Um, it has been super difficult being a woman in tech, especially because of being in Iowa, where you know you don't have the same type of meetups, you don't have the same mm. co-working spaces, you don't have like that whole um, technology ecosystem that mm-hmm. you can try and join here nearly as much as what you do in the big cities. And even when you do go to something here, a lot of it is more focused on ag tech or ed tech or some of the things that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what we're doing when it comes to marketing technology, software as a service, advertising, it wasn't nearly as common. And so I looked very different than the majority of the people in the room. And I've had to seek out friendships that turned into mentorships um, and actually a lot of my clients who have come on board as clients and been advocates and you know ah, gosh influencers for our brand local business owners here who are not in the same industry at all whatsoever but you know they've been major cheerleaders and supporters and honest about what we're building and if it's working and if it's not that's been super important and then outside the area finding these women that are available for a phone call or when I am in town, I make sure that we can Mm -hmm. grab lunch or whatever. And um, I'm still figuring it out. And one thing that I guess you could say struggling with finding the right people to fill that space in my life has made me very aware of making sure that I can do that for other people. Mm. Right. So um, yeah, absolutely. Again, depending yeah. on the industry that you're going into, you may not have a ton of mentors available to you in your space. And, you know, for women who are trying to go into the technology space, especially here in the Quad Cities, it's not easy. There's not a lot of people. And yeah. although I'm busy, like all the time, um, I try and at least offer up my time and make sure that people understand that I'm here to help as much as I possibly can. And yes, I love to grab a beer or have coffee or grab lunch. That's usually the best way to get my time because I feel like I don't eat 90% of <laughs> otherwise. And then when I do get together with somebody over a meal, I still don't eat because I spend too much time talking. So, um, yeah. but you know, it, you do as much as you can and, my goal, you know, long-term goal is that someday I'm in a position where not only can I help mentor and lead, but invest in, you know, other women and minority owned ideas and businesses, because it's, there's not enough people out there like me to help invest in other people like me in the future. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. And uh, this is an ongoing journey uh, for all of us, right? You may have mentors in certain industries and they definitely can cross over in other industries to tap into their mentorship. Yet when they're unique to that industry, it can definitely help to open up path and access to et cetera. So listeners, um, you heard what Katie's looking for and vice versa. So I'm sure to like reach (laughs) out if you've got some ideas and great uh, mentors um, and want to get some, you know, coffee, beer and tea with uh, Katie. (laughs) Well, and I do want to say real quick, though, that I have been extremely blessed, lucky, whatever you want to say, to have had some incredible male role models and mentors Mm -hmm. in the tech space, in business in general, that, you know, they're great sounding boards. Some of my, uh, some actually a few of them are my investors. Others are just great friends. And without them you know, advocating and coaching and providing a sounding board and, you know, answering my questions or listening to me complain, right? Like sometimes it's just like, oh my God, this is hard. And you need somebody to remind you why you're doing it. Um, And without those, those guys, I, 
I know I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So, so, so important. So, so important to have uh, allies, or I call them co-conspirators, outside of your yes. your <laughs> space, right? Out, outside of your, your space. That, that is, it's so important. And so um, thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, and, and those men have to, you know, they've got to take the challenges that they're, they're helping, you know, shield you from the challenges by advocating on behalf of women. So that's a, not only are they investing maybe financially, right. but they're advocating publicly and in, in spaces maybe that you don't have the opportunity to advocate in. And so that's a, that's a great thing. Well, well especially because it can't just be women no, advocating for women, can't. Right? No, right? right? It has to be men that are advocating for women as has well. To. And so, I mean, that's just, it's vital yeah. for, seen change in those numbers yeah. that we talked about and yeah. you know minority owned businesses and things like that we have to have yeah. everyone advocating for diversity in yeah. order for there to be real change yeah yep. my my first and uh, biggest mentor he's no longer with us was a older white male exec yeah and i learned so much yeah. from him there's some big, big shoes to fill. And I'm still funny. looking for some mentors here myself, Katie. So yeah, I totally understand the journey, but Just I'm all about It'll be paying fun. it forward and helping others. Yep. Um, but absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I have, a, I have a question for you. You know, you um, you're in business with your sister. Um, and we, and, <laughs> yes, I am. And we all we all know the old saying: "Don't do business with your family." Things like we always hear that, right? But sure. I also know that culturally, um, and, and I know in many minoritized communities, family is always important, right? Like. Being with your family in every aspect of life, right? Food, right. <laughs> food, like you said, but but yes. business. Um, how has that been advantageous for you, um, and sure. how has that helped your business and your relationship with your with your sister? Well, my sister is almost five years younger than me, so we were never in high school together. You know, I mean, she was annoying growing up, right? <laughs> you say and that. I too. Sarah, yes, yeah. and I'm you in understand. business with my brother too, Katie. So I get it, <laughs> right? And I mean, had you asked me, you know, 20 years ago, would I ever go into business with my sister? I probably would have told you she's gross, right? Like, I mean, at that point, we just, it, we were in two totally different spaces. Right, right. Um, she's not gross, by the way. She's awesome. You should probably cut that part out. But, um, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, when I had this idea, and I mean, really, I started working on the idea for what is now Tap On It back in 2013, and, um, she was the first person I called. And it was because one, I knew that she was a risk taker as well. And I knew that she had some of the skills when it came to really getting people pumped up about new ideas. And, you know, she could, whether she believed it or not back then, she's a killer salesperson. Um, I knew that when I brought the idea to her that she would at least consider it. And she did. And we both took this crazy leap into, you know, owning a tech company. And I'm so glad, one, to be doing this with my sister because it has made us closer than we ever had been or ever would have been had we not done this. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't, tr there's no one that you trust more than your family, right? Yeah. Like, that's the one thing is, you know, I know she has my back mm -hmm. no matter what. And... I certainly hope she knows that I've got hers too. <laughs> and so, you know, as we continue to grow this thing and as we, I mean, the, the struggles we've had over the years, you know, the phone calls where we're both in tears or she's in tears or I'm in tears. And, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to cry with your sister. Yeah. Um, 
about these same things. And so we've overcome a lot together. We have definitely had, you know, major blow ups and, you know, I, but we've always come back together and we have always continued to work towards that same goal. So is that hard? Yeah, sometimes. Um, she lives in Nashville, which makes it easier because I don't have to see her every single day. <laughs> but, um, and I'm kidding, sort of. You know, <laughs> she was back here, though, in the Quad Cities for about three and a half years, which, I mean, Sarah, when she graduated from college, she went straight to New York City and then she was in Nashville. And, mm-hmm. you know, she would have told you that she had never planned on moving back here, but the business was going well and this is where she needed to be. So she did. And we grew well together here and it did bring us even closer together. And then when the pandemic hit and we figured out that you could be remote, she moved back to Nashville because she loves it there and she's got great friends. And Mm -hmm. honestly, to be able to expand our business and get to know people there has been really good for her, too, um, because it just it expands the network. So it's been fun. It's not always easy, but it's been fun. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. So should you go into business with your family? I think it depends on who your family is, right? right. But <laughs> yeah. it's worked out for us. That's great. I was going to say, it's either going to make it or break it for you and your relationship at the mm-hmm. end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. Well, we should probably uh, move on to our next session. And that is, uh, we usually have a session called What's on our, our, What's on Our Listeners' Mind, where we get a listener question. What's on our listeners' minds? So uh, for our listeners, keep those questions coming at info at diversitystraightup.com. Uh, but right now, Sadika, do we have a question from our listeners? We always do. There's never a shortage, and we appreciate the listeners. Okay, so this is from Ahmed from San Diego. Katie, this is going to be for you to answer. How do we give grace in conversations as I feel that even though I'm mindful of the intent and impact, it can still be perceived negatively, and I'm struggling with having meaningful conversations with my colleagues about religion, especially since I'm a Muslim? So that's a very good question. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a heavy one. You know, I think the biggest thing is in any conversation, if you can lead with love, you know, which sounds corny or whatever, but sometimes I, I picture, I don't know, Care Bears, you remember? Like the <laughs> bear, and I'm yes. not, I'm I do remember kidding. the Care Bears. <laughs> I know. And so... That whole like idea of pushing out love to everyone around you, um, again, is super corny, but it's much easier to have a positive conversation and to let people, to share your opinion, your perspective, your beliefs, whether it's in business or in religion, if you start out on a positive note and work to not be defensive, right? Because that's part of it too, is I think that sometimes when people are trying to explain their point of view, instead of also listening to the point of view of the other person, you end up just getting defensive, which makes you close-minded and often leads things the wrong direction. And so instead of you know sharing beliefs one direction, making sure that you're asking the questions of the person on the other end, um, what are your thoughts, you know? And instead of making it about I feel, or this is how you made me feel, you know, just talking about it in a more, I don't know, high level, you know, in my experience or, you know, things like that, where it's just more open-ended, I think can really help, um, even the playing field and it's gotta be a two-way street. So if you want to talk about your religion, that's fine, but you need to make sure that you let other people talk about theirs too. And as long as that conversation can go both directions, you'll probably be okay. You also have to be careful though, because there's sometimes there's topics that 
some people just, it, it doesn't need to happen. I don't like to talk about politics with a lot of my family because there's some differing in opinions, right? And there's some subjects where you make what your opinion is or your thoughts or your direction known, but it doesn't have to change a working relationship just because they might differ from each other's. Well, thank you, Katie, for uh, sharing your perspective. You know, one thing that I have um, really come to grasp and have a better understanding is that, you know, I know growing up, that was one thing. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about money in the workplace. And frankly, it all depends on if that's an aspect of your identity that you felt has been pushed back or you felt like you had to create a cover or a facade. I'm a Hindu, but I didn't talk about my religion growing up in the Quad Cities or anywhere else Mm -hmm. because it was... People didn't understand it, didn't know it, and were like, what, you have more than one God? I mean, it was just a lot for a second grader to unpack because I'm still learning what that means for me. And I still have questions. I don't know what it all means. And so I think I've started to really recognize that if somebody's talking about something that I may not feel as comfortable, that's because it's probably something that's really meaningful and impacting them and it's a stronger aspect of their identity. So at the very least, what can I do? Remember you said two-way relationship. Right. Listen. Always listen and and ask questions and learn. And then I'll maybe throw in a Care Bear with a love heart when the conversation, yeah. you know, as you well, said. I mean, it just makes it well, why, easier. Why, like who, yeah, why, does. yeah, who, how, why? Yeah. You know, yeah. we, when we were kids, you know, we were, you know, why was like our favorite thing to say. Like, but it's good. Why? Yeah. That's like, inquisitive. When did we stop wanting to know why? When did, you know, what was it as adults that made us stop wanting I to I know why? I say that all the time, <laughs> don't talk, I, Anthony? Sarah talk, <laughs> talks about that a lot. Like, I say create the culture of questioning. When you do that, a lot of biases can be unearthed. I like yeah. that. Acknowledge it yeah. and address it and yes. start, you know, getting better about yes, it. So, yes. And that's yeah. what also drives right. innovation when you have the question, culture of questioning. Yes. Oh my goodness, we feel like we can go on a lot of tangents. Ahmed, thank you so much for that question because it definitely inspired, you know, inspired a lot of conversation at the table here in the studio yes. for us. And so thought. thank you. Thank yes. you, listeners. Yes. Now I think no. we're at the, uh, a fun one. Fun, what fun part of our segment. Katie, you're a fun person. We can already tell. And um, <laughs> if you were Sometimes. in the studio, we would definitely have a lot of fun with what we call it our diversity thumb ball. It's like a soft soccer ball, so liability is extremely low (laughs) when you throw this. Um, What it is, it has a lot of different prompts and questions on it, and you would throw it at somebody, and wherever your thumbs, two thumbs land, usually try to do it so you only have one question or prompt that it's landing on so you don't pick and choose from questions. But Anthony has a different way of playing, which is all good. If he's leading in, he's sure to make the rules. We have our house rules, don't we? Yes, we do. So we'll throw it at each other, and uh, we'll just read the question prompt and then just authentically respond. And if the answer is, I don't know, that's okay, because we've also received quite a few of those when we've done these for trainings and all of that. So what I will do, since you don't, can't physically throw this into the screen over there, is that I'm going to have Anthony catch it on your behalf. All right. All right. That means you may have fair. two questions. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I heard on a past podcast you're supposed to go with your left thumb. That, okay. that, again, that's him making up the rules again. Okay, I'm going with so. your. Le- I'm going my left thumb, man. Okay, fair enough. I mean, <laughs> that's fine. Hey, I, I, I will, you know, go with the majority here. <laughs> left thumb. Describe an instance when someone went out of their way to make you feel included. Ah. 
you know what's cool is there's so many. How do you even pick one? Because like I said mm -hmm. earlier, fostering inclusivity is something that is extremely important across yeah. my entire team. And so I know that oftentimes they'll bring me into a conversation just to give me an opportunity to be included. Um, outside of work, I think that especially in the tech industry and from conferences I've been at recently, I feel like there is more um, people do step outside a little bit further to include people. I was at a conference recently in L.A. It was awesome, super fun. And there were a there was a table full of women that I did not know. They had been in the room at the conference earlier in the day and at the dinner. They were all sitting together and I walked in kind of looking around like, hey, I'm from Iowa. I don't know anyone here. <laughs> and it was like they just waved me over and brought me in. And um, I appreciated it very much because, one, I'm actually friends with some of those people now, you know, a couple months later or whenever that was. And to it, that's how it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. right? Like make new friends, learn new things, expand your network. And for yeah. me to be, you know, from Iowa at a meeting in LA or a dinner in LA and to immediately feel welcomed in and included was huge. Great, great. Thanks for sharing. Good stuff. All right. We're going to play with you. So I'm going to throw the ball to Setica now and, and she's right. going to catch it and oh. ask her question. All right. You said left. So I told, oh, this is my left. <laughs> Your other left. <laughs> <laughs> How do your thoughts about diversity differ from your parents? Hmm. Grow, uh, qu quite a bit, actually. But it's been a learning uh, journey for both my parents and them as well. Because I've realized and I've given them grace. I Hopefully they've given me grace. Is that they were raised based on what they were exposed to in India, growing up there, being born there, growing up there before technology. Whereas my situation was different. I was born there, but raised here in the Midwest. And so my exposure was different. Right. So this whole tug of war with individualistic versus collectivism was significantly felt in our household. And um, when it comes to diversity, having your, your unique thoughts wasn't really welcome. It was always the thoughts should be for the benefit of the whole family. And so when it comes to being, you know, thinking from an individualistic perspective, that was not really looked favorably across the board. Um, and I can tell <coughs> over the years, even when it comes to relationships, um, they were very particular about marrying within a certain community. And um, that was something that I do not believe in and I will never believe in. But again, I recognize that that's their beliefs. And um, also, how can they recognize my beliefs? So we're, we're still growing um, in terms of our relationship mm -hmm. when it comes to differences on opinions and perspectives. And I have to recognize that this is something that they were exposed to for centuries, centuries, centuries. Right. But it's also taken me as a generation, an immigrant here, to try to maybe break some of that mm -hmm. so that I'm not perpetuating some of those biases to the next generation, to my kids, Katie. Yeah. Um, so that's how we differ, maybe in our upbringing and uh, raising children. I'm not saying right or wrong. It's just right. different. Good stuff. All oh, right. I need to throw it at you, Toss don't me I? that ball. <laughs> I, I'm playing with you all. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Left hand. Where do you see prejudice everywhere? <laughs> yeah. How about that? Um, well, today, 
um, I'm seeing, uh, seeing prejudice in, in my own backyard, actually. I'm actually um, uh, dealing with a, a murder of a, a victim in our hometown, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I'm supporting the family. And we, we, we believe it was racially motivated. We, we hear it. We, 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 we can see a person saying what they're going to do, and we can hear them saying racially motivated words to this person. And um, that's been a heavy, a heavy lift. Um, so I'm seeing prejudice right here, right now, literally within the last uh, two weeks in my own backyard. So, but it's everywhere. We know, we know prejudice is everywhere, and we, we all have to work together, and that's why, that's why we do what we do, and that's why we're passionate about what we do. So. Well, thank you for sharing, yeah. Anthony. Thanks for playing the game with us. Hope I you had fun. I wish you were here so we could throw that to you. Yeah. Yes, time. I know. I wish I could throw it at. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. To you, not at. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> see, I excuse me of throwing it at her. I didn't. Uh huh. Yeah. He likes at to least do that. it's yeah. a soft, non-threatening ball, it is. so you're fine. It is. Yes. <laughs> well, hi, we... We're gonna go with that, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, as we wrap up here, we are at the end of our show, and and, and Katie, thank you so much for your time and. We want to make sure, you know, as I told you, we go with the flow. This is your show. It's, mm -hmm. it's Katie's show. So is there anything as you leave that you want to leave with our listeners um, as a way to motivate or educate, inspire them uh, around the, the value of diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement? Anything that uh, we haven't talked about, we want to make sure. You know, there is one thing that I wanted to uh, talk about in the fundraising side of things and a struggle that minority-owned businesses, especially in the technology space, deal with. And mainly in the technology space. So what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, in technology, you don't, it's very hard to get a bank loan to uh, fund a company like this, right? Because you don't have the assets at your disposal to help secure that loan. And so people like me end up going out and raising money. And the, for the most part, that's great. It's cool. Whatever you do, what you need to do. But when you are a minority owned business and you're forced to go raise money and the people who are you know, providing that funding tend to be old white men, what happens is you end up losing your minority ownership status. Mm. And what's crazy is that. So true. It's well, it's happening and it's happened yeah. to us. Yeah. So, you know, my sister and I, we dropped below our 51% ownership now. Mm. And I think that this is something that as a country, it needs to be looked at. What does it mean to be owned a minority owned business? Because mm -hmm. now they're looking at a cap table to decide mm -hmm. who owns the company. And so we're missing out on opportunities because yeah. we didn't fit, you know, the mold to be able to get traditional funding. And in order to continue to grow and, you know, build this idea into something real, you had to go seek outside capital. Yeah. And unfortunately, the lack of minority investors, of women investors, it's it's a real thing. And so it was unavoidable for us, but now as we're raising funds again, it's something that we've um, really mm. tried to draw attention to and are trying to focus on finding the right people, minorities, whether it is in gender or in, you know, being Hispanic or whomever to right. help us get back that minority status. And so I guess that that would be one piece of advice that I'd give to minority business owners, that if you are going the route where you need to raise capital to try and p protect that 51% yeah. because it's actually, it's better for you as a business owner. It's mm -hmm. better for your investors. I mean, it opens up doors to mm -hmm. grants and funding and jobs and yeah. work. And so um, I learned that the hard way. And now I'm trying to work backwards to bring that back 
and get that minority ownership status back. So if you can uh, be strategic, not only in where the funding comes from, but who the funding yeah. comes from, it can really make a big impact for your business and I don't, our entire Well, you, you make a great point in, in, um, in terms of the systemic historical issues that impact that, right? So in order for you, who has nothing, to have something, I need to have most of what you have because I need control. And that is a historical pattern in capitalism that's that's been in our in our country. And, and I'm glad to hear that you're focused on trying to to help change that. And because it's a it's a it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I know as a minority business um, owner as well as a small woman-owned uh, you know business owner have yeah. certification on both end of it and that status you know the ownership it makes a big difference in terms of opening up the doors mm -hmm. and access but i also can recognize that if you're on your journey and you need that capital to even stay afloat yeah your hands are tired right katie yep. yeah. so um yeah. you, you live and you, you learn and you continue to grow and know that you have different options going forward though right so yep. um be proud of that, and thank you so much for sharing that tip yeah. with our listeners thank as they you. think about their own uh, business structure uh, moving forward as well. Yes, yes. Katie, we're out of time, and I know that we could definitely spend um, you know hours and days with you. We'll definitely connect and try to you know meet up with you offline yes. um, over tea, coffee, or beverage, and uh, continue the conversation. Uh, but um, uh, thank you very, very much. It's yes. been very insightful and, and uh, engaging and enlightening for me. Well, thank you for thank having you me. So this was much. fun. And um, yeah, let's chat again. And a shout out again to our sponsors, ACT, Alliant Energy, and Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust. The show is produced by LAS Media Group. A special thanks to our listeners, as without you, we wouldn't be here. So please continue to help us grow subscriber base by sharing our show with others, liking, commenting, etc. Love this episode of Diversity Straight Up? Then head over to the most popular podcast and audio platforms to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. And as we say on our show, Diversity Straight Up. Keeping it real.